The Daily Tonic is a five-minute newsletter that shares science-backed health news and tips, all while getting you to crack a smile or even laugh out loud on occasion. It's a daily morning newsletter started by wellness lovers for wellness lovers that covers everything from diet and exercise to morning routines and sleep aids. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. When you go to 247health.com to subscribe to the Daily Tonic newsletter, be sure to check out their product reviews and special recipes. There you can find reviews on the latest health technology that will improve your performance, your recovery, and your longevity. 247health.com believes that wellness is a personal journey, but it's always good to have a friend who knows what they're talking about, too. Give them a try at 247health.com. Did you know many of 247health.com's favorite products, like avocado oil mayonnaise, hydrating ketone water, skin-revitalizing red light lamps, all are featured on the Daily Tonic with discount codes? If you see a cool new product on the website, there's probably a special link on the Daily Tonic. Plus, the Daily Tonic also features new wellness products with special discounts every single day. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Simon Lockery. Uh, he's the REDUCE, R-E-D-U-C-E, it's an acronym, Research Program Lead for Fight Food Waste CRC. So we're going to talk about his work uh, in terms of food waste and packaging and all the ways that uh, food waste affects everyone, how it can be reduced, etc. So Simon, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Richard. If you would, tell me a bit about your background and how you got interested in food waste. Uh, so my background is product design engineering. I uh, worked for about 10, 15 years designing anything from packaging through to vacuum cleaners, furniture, through to aerospace type devices and, and equipment. So I've worked across a spectrum of different types of industries. Uh, I came back to academia 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and started doing a lot of work with industry and government around sustainability transitions. So a lot of work with life cycle assessment, uh, a lot of work with sustainability strategy to corporate level. Uh, and through that work, I completed my PhD in, in uh, sustainable management. Uh, and it was becoming evident, particularly in the work in packaging, that there is this other issue of food waste, which is above and beyond the environmental impacts of the packaging itself in the food system. So my colleague, uh, Associate Professor Carly Vergeesen, and I uh, started looking at projects in that space and realised that the you know the impacts are, are vast. So we're talking about eight you percent know, of the world's greenhouse gas emissions uh, relate to food loss and waste. Uh, and at that time, there was quite a lot of momentum in Australia. This is mid twenty ten, so twenty fifteen sixteen, to start a large national research uh, structure or centre. Uh, focused on reducing food loss and waste. This is also around the same time that the Sustainable Development Goals, UN goals, were getting a lot of momentum too. And SDG 12 uh, and Target 
are focused on uh, reducing food loss and waste by half by 2030. So a centre emerged uh, to be funded by the federal government here in Australia to the tune of 121 million Australian dollars, which I, I looked up the uh, exchange rate over there. It's about 81 million US dollars over a 10-year period. That research centre set up with a three-pronged attack, essentially, uh, looking at reducing food waste. That's the program I lead. Transforming food waste, if we can't reduce it, uh, into high-value goods or high-value outcomes, other food products, uh, food ingredients, nutraceuticals, building products, all sorts of different types of applications. Uh, and then the other program is on engaging on food loss and waste reduction, uh, where we look at you know, national behaviour change campaigns, training and education for industry and professionals, and also behaviour change within industry across the value chain, trying to get the changes that are needed to transition to better outcomes, food loss or waste, from farm to fork. Well, what, so, so what, what does that mean? What, how much food waste is there? What's the reduction goal? What's the impact, et cetera? So in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions, as I mentioned before, it's around 8% of global emissions. So that, that's a big environmental impact right there that we need to address. That, that really relates to the embedded carbon dioxide in the food as well as how it degrades if it goes to landfill. If food goes Does to that landfill, mean all, all food production accounts for 8% of greenhouse gas emissions? or Food loss and waste. Food loss and, food loss and waste. So that's not the whole food system. The whole food system is even larger. And the reason that it's so high is because food's an you know, immensely large uh, industry, right? If you break that down into how much food we actually waste, we waste between sort of 30 to 50% of the food we produce in developed supply chains. So, you know, Australia, US, Europe, it's about you know, 30, 40%. And most of that's occurring in our homes, uh, in people's homes, in food service. So the biggest spike is our own time poor lives, daily lives, <laughs> propensity not to plan now um, because of various social factors uh, and our behaviours in the home too. So, you know, we're talking about a large proportion of the food we produce being wasted and that proportion being about 8% of our greenhouse gas emissions, which is equivalent to it being the third biggest nation of greenhouse gas emissions after China and the US. So it's it's a big number. And in, in terms of dollar value, we're talking about many billions of dollars of lost input, essentially, and value, which could be turned into a tens of billion billions of dollar opportunity for business. Boston Consulting Group's done a lot of work around it. McKinsey has as well, showing that across the value chain, if we made changes, there could be you know, a lot of economic benefit to business, to governments, to not-for-profits like food rescue organizations if we if we change the game here. So. so, Okay, so what percentage of food is wasted at the farm level, at the transport level, at the restaurant or grocery store level stuff being thrown away? It depends on the, on the study. It depends on the type of, of food. So different foods get wasted at different rates. But as a general rule, we're talking about a high proportion in Western supply chains being wasted in the home, you know, up to 50% in the home. It's a lot lower on the farm and in the supply chain and at, even at retail just because your money talks. So, you know, if they, if they waste food in a food system that they, they rely on for, for their revenue and their profit, yeah, it's like throwing money down the down the drain. So um, you are talking more like you know low tens of percent you know, on in different supply chain stages prior to the consumer. Some farm waste is a lot higher than that, depending on what the the type of food is. Traditionally, you might dig in a, a whole lot of uh, food that's produced back onto the farm and and 
for it to be used as essentially a fertilizer. If you look at sugarcane, for instance, we produce a lot of bagasse, which doesn't actually go uh, into a food product. And we're talking about 20, 30, 40% waste on those farms. Um, A lot of other farms are a lot lower in terms of their waste than that. But that's just an example of where we might have quite high waste on a farm. So yeah, look, it's, I suppose the other point to make here is it is a complex issue. Every type of food commodity is different. So it's hard, very hard to generalise, but um, yeah, that as a general rule of thumb, it is a lot less on the farm and in the supply chain compared to our homes. Well, I mean, sure, everything's different. But if you take the, if you look at a Pareto and you see the things that maybe are most commonly wasted, yep. then maybe you look at, you know, how much inputs went. Let's say, I'm just making this up. Let's say tomatoes, for some reason, were like by far wasted more than anything else. But <clears throat> meat was, uh, was wasted less, but the amount yeah, of inputs so- to... Create that meat was right. twenty times as much as tomatoes. Then, you know, do you, are you putting this into a matrix to look at again yeah. a of what the most problematic yeah. stuff is, or how's it work? We do, we do, yeah, we do. So, um, I mean, we've got a national food loss and waste baseline in Australia where you know those kind of numbers exist, and there is more general numbers from the UN uh, around sort of national or regional numbers like o- Oceania, which includes the US and Australia, Europe, etc. So. Again, as a general rule of thumb, you know those expensive items in the in the home, like meat, high value goods, tend to be wasted less. Things that go off quicker tend to be wasted more, like bread, leafy greens, and fresh uh, veggies. They tend to have much higher percentages of waste in the home or even in retail. Uh, so, as an example, in Australia, bread is a big issue. There's a lot of bread wasted, so it's uh, been a focus for us. The other organisation that the CRC works with called Stop Food Waste Australia. We, we operate as one organisation uh, under a, a limited company. Stop Food Waste Australia basically focused on bread as their first sector action plan because we knew that it was such a high proportion of waste, both in retail and in the home. Leafy greens is another really big issue because uh, they <laughs> lettuce leaves just go off very quick after they've been picked. So if you've got loose leaves or even uh, you know full lettuces, they, they tend to degrade very quickly. I think it's the nature of the food, how it's stored and transported to market and then used or stored in the home really determines how those things degrade, but also things like value. So for instance, people don't want to waste the stuff that they spend a lot of money on, right? So meat tends to be well handled across the supply chain and in the home because people know they've spent a lot of money on it. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, there, there can be those socioeconomic dynamics that also lead to different outcomes for different types of waste. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and we'll be able to solicit donations to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. What are some of the proposed solutions? Like, what about a buyback for food? Maybe it goes towards making compost and fertilizer, closing the loop. Yeah, so there are various 
opportunities for change here. We tend to work through the highest value alternatives based on the international science. So closing the loop for compost is a good outcome because you're still creating something that goes back into another system for us to use. But we rate that as a low valorization, so a low value outcome, because it's not necessarily creating a good economic benefit. It tends to be almost cost neutral composting system, unless it's a very high value compost. So what we really focus on is firstly trying to redistribute food for human consumption uh, after you know trying to reduce food waste in general. So that that means we do a lot of work with food charities trying to get food that maybe is in you know even farm to processing all the way through to retail back out to people who might not necessarily be able to afford food. There's a lot of people in food stress, uh, food poverty, particularly in um, post-COVID times where You've got a real shift going on you know, with the job market, cost of living pressures. Uh, so we, we work very closely with the food charities like Food Bank, Oz Harvest, other Australian food charities to try and get that system going. Yeah, but how, how does that, if you said like 50% gets wasted in the home, people have bought it already. So how does it yeah, help to, to divert stuff to food kitchen? It's a lot harder in the home to get that outcome. So that's more focused really on farm to retail or food service. Certainly when people eat out, it's easier to get that food to people because the food charities can come and sort of set up a reverse supply chain. Whereas, yeah, in the home, you're right, it's a lot harder. So in the home, it really is is about strategies to provide uh, the behavioural infrastructure for people to try and solve this issue themselves with their behaviours, with uh, tools to try and allow them to do better. Uh, so that might mean tools for better planning practices. Uh, it may mean education and information around uh, storage behaviors like how what do you use the freezer and the fridge for in concert to store things refreeze freeze defrost etc can you recook leftovers into new meals uh, at a at a uh, later date are there ways in which we can use internet of things smart technologies and apps to assist people in being better uh, about using the food in their fridge or leftovers, et cetera, that they've come up with. Are there strategy around packaging systems, uh, portioning size, et cetera, that we can provide information and tools to people to do better? So so for people in their homes, there is very much around technology, social science, social marketing, uh, education, et cetera, to try and get better outcomes there. Uh, ultimately, there's still going to be some food waste. So has anyone done the calculation? If you know, Since, again, food waste at home supposedly is... Highest, yeah. 50%. Uh, again, why not a buyback program? You know, if you agree to separate your garbage, you know, and we see evidence of that, we'll, I don't know, we'll offset your garbage collection cost by the, the pounds of uh, food waste you provide. Yeah. And then yeah, that yeah. fertilizer, you know, part of the calculus is it has to be created, trucked in, put on the crops, et cetera. If it's regenerated locally and put back out to local farms, yeah. you yeah, have yeah. a lot less of the transport costs and input costs. Maybe it would be worth it. Has anyone done this? Like, you know, get all the inputs calculation of this. The Daily Tonic is a five-minute newsletter that shares science-backed health news and tips, all while getting you to crack a smile or even laugh out loud on occasion. It's a daily morning newsletter started by wellness lovers for wellness lovers that covers everything from diet and exercise to morning routines and sleep aids. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. When you go to 247health.com to subscribe to the Daily Tonic newsletter, be sure to check out their product reviews and special recipes 
There, you can find reviews on the latest health technology that will improve your performance, your recovery, and your longevity. 247health.com believes that wellness is a personal journey, but it's always good to have a friend who knows what they're talking about, too. Give them a try at 247health.com. Did you know many of 247health.com's favorite products, like avocado oil mayonnaise, hydrating ketone water, skin revitalizing red light lamps, all are featured on the Daily Tonic with discount codes? If you see a cool new product on the website, there's probably a special link on the Daily Tonic. Plus, the Daily Tonic also features new wellness products with special discounts every single day. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of local councils are now moving to a, a source separation green or food waste slash you know, grass cutting bin. Something that's relatively new in Australia, you know, various councils getting on board. One of the issues has been just <laughs> linking to the right suppliers to be able to d- deal with the waste once it comes out of um, out of homes. The other option, though, is obviously providing, again, it's a behavioural infrastructure type outcome where you provide compost, anaerobic digesters or worm farms on site at people's homes so they can use them at home to create their own compost on their own gardens and potentially grow their own food as well. Uh, certainly there, there's instances in, in my home state of Victoria where councils had been doing that for another reason and that was climate change. So if they can pull uh, organics out of the landfills in their council area, uh, it reduces the, the climate change impacts of the council as a whole. So if they can provide you know, subsidised worm farms or... or, um, or compost bins anaerobic digesters it means that people can actually do the work themselves and it saves the council having to do that that other stuff and and that was less about waste more about climate change when they were doing that but it's an example of where councils at a local level can assist people to participate in in a solution you know once we've got to a point where we know we can't reduce any further where they can manage it themselves but that there are definitely source separation rollouts going on around green waste in Australia and that's a combination of both waste um, strategies, climate change strategies and it, it is really important that things are separate for that to work. We're now at a point I think Richard where we've got three bins each, it, we're potentially going to four bins each with glass, we're sort of heading towards almost the German model where everything's source separated, that's the best way to try and get the best outcomes from a waste management perspective after that and look it turns into a circular economy outcome because with the source separation, you have much cleaner streams that feed back into the system uh, for the, the various players to utilise in a commercial fashion. But when they ask people to separate, what, what's the incentive or what's the penalty for not? I mean, yeah, what, I mean what percentage of compliance is there and there, do they even there, separate properly, et cetera? You know? Yeah, it's, it's a, good, a good question. Look, there are other jurisdictions where this is happening. So uh, in Asia, Japan, Korea, et cetera, there have been examples where they do um, incentivization or penalty-based approaches to this model. That's not happening in Australia yet. I'll just be frank, it just isn't happening. But the next stage would be to move to that kind of system where there's a carrot stick approach. I suppose that at the moment for the, the schemes that I mentioned, the incentive was to get a free worm farm or a subsidised worm farm to do the work, right? The incentive was to participate rather than uh, you know a carrot stick approach to the behaviour itself. I, I think you're right. Like, you, you probably need to go further for it to be to have more you know more power as an approach. 
So if a garbage company picks up a bag of garbage from my house, how much does it cost them to separate it versus, you know, it's magically separated by me and they just pick up the separate bins? You know, yeah, let's separate. say, I'm just making this up. Let's say, the, I don't know, $2 a bag. Why couldn't they say, okay, you know, on average, it's $2 a bag. So we don't incentivize the households. We'll give you a dollar off your bill each time yeah, you do yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they still oh, make just, some money on it and they get this these inputs that are cheaper and the person benefits too yeah. with less they pay less. Yeah, it's the same model that uh you know insurance companies have started applying with a gym membership. So if you go to the gym, we'll reduce your premiums because you're less of a risk or less of a cost in that case, or in the case of you know, if we apply the same kind of model to the waste system model that you just uh described, absolutely it's just a you know cost reduction slash uh, incentivization program, which makes sense. And you can go the opposite way. The more you have, the more you pay. So a pay per system, which some European jurisdictions are using, uh, certainly in uh, the Netherlands, they've got a system like that uh, where the more waste you produce, the more you pay. So uh, look, I think there's examples where what you're describing are happening. It's just, I'm I'm just saying it's not happening here in Australia yet. So yeah. Yeah, and, and since your background is in packaging, um, what are some of the things that you're able to help with based on your particular background? You know, what can be done packaging-wise to help? In terms of the food loss and waste issue, packaging has a quite a key role. One, I just mentioned up front, one of the key issues with packaging is that uh, there is a, quite a negative consumer sentiment around packaging, right? And for good reason. We've probably deployed a hell of a lot of packaging into supply chains, very visible to people when they unpackage something, they've got a waste product straight away. It's been used once. And there are all these issues around biodiversity loss, uh, you know, plastics in the system, microplastics. The Pacific Soup's a good example of the, you know, all that packaging just basically you know, flowing around in a vortex in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, ending up on you know, Australian, Fijian, Hawaiian, American Southeast Asian shores um, because of our consumerist lifestyle. So, so that's the first thing I mentioned that we go into this with that pretext. However, packaging plays a role. The reason packaging is in the system is to try and allow for product to get from A to B in a good condition for people to use. Now, in foods case, that is to elongate shelf life, protect it from the bumps, the temperature changes, the gases that occur that, that actually make the food off and uh, not edible or, or even safe to eat in some contexts. So what can packaging do? Packaging can help in reducing food waste through the supply chain, through those um, issues that I just described, but also in the home, packaging can actually also provide some of the behavioural infrastructure for people to store food properly, elongate shelf life by making sure that the, the product is, the food product is protected, protected not just mechanically, but also from those gases, you know, allowing for flow of air as well can also help sometimes elongate shelf life or the opposite. You might want to restrict the flow of air uh, or other gases like ethylene. For instance, if you have some fruit and veg next to bananas when ethylene is being produced, uh, they may actually start to go off uh, or uh, ripen too quickly. So you want to actually you know, separate those out. Also, packaging plays a functional role for, you know, for things like resealability. Also, portioning. They can be designed to give you individual portions so that it actually scripts your behavior with the food or simply just providing you a vessel to store food, not just in the fridge, but the freezer uh, so that you can elongate shelf life that way too. So packaging has this sort of interesting role 
which has the potential to reduce food waste in the home. Interestingly, though, Robert, we've, Richard, sorry, we've done a whole lot of research around people and their behaviours with packaging in, in the food, fight food waste CRC. And we're finding that people have, you know, as you would expect, a disparate uh, array of perceptions, behaviours around packaging that are both positive and negative in terms of their influence on food loss and waste in the home. Yeah, um, what, what are some examples of that? What are some uh, things you've so, heard or observed from people? So as an example, like, you know, there might be a piece of packaging that's been designed to help elongate shelf life in the home, but people get the product home, take it out of that packaging and then put it in another container or or maybe not even in a container at all and just throw the packaging out. So, you know, that that value or those those features that were designed into the packaging to assist the consumer are not ever used. There are a number of things we could take from that. Like maybe it's just about making sure that if someone is taking something home and if they're putting it in something else, that there's some good information, educational cues about what they should be using to store that food again. Or maybe there's better communication on packs so that someone doesn't refrain from using the features that have been built in to assist them. Yeah, why isn't yes. there on packaging suggested way to you know, like an egg cart? Do this to extend your egg shelf life right. by up to forty-eight hours. You know? These are the things that we're exploring um, in terms of comms, in terms of you know visible messaging, etc. On pack, so we're doing quite a few uh, projects around testing interventions in that space. But I mean, put simply, Richard, the reason that stuff's not on pack is because there is a a massive tension between different actors in food companies and retail companies for real estate on pack. So, I mean, you'd be aware of this, right? Like nutritional panels, marketing messages, weight, recycling logos, allergen logo. You you literally have sometimes up to 100 different communication mechanisms fighting (laughs) for space on pack. And that's why we haven't necessarily had this kind of information on pack before because maybe other actors, you know, maybe it's the marketing team, maybe it's the, the food safety team, the legal team who've actually dominated the conversation around what needs to be on there, uh, what we're trying to do with um, some of these projects in the CRC is is sort of, you know, take a step back and say, hey, where can we place this information so it's impactful? Do you know, it'd be cool as if, um, you know, like all items, as far as I know, barcodes, if you're able to add some information to the barcode, yeah, I don't know if you yeah. have to upgrade it to a QR code, but yeah, you can yeah. add information to the barcode where the person could scan the barcode and get, you know, a link to a video or something on, you know, how to best to use their egg carton or whatever bread basket uh, that may help. And it won't take up any additional real estate. It might be possible. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're, we're definitely looking at other mechanisms, which might be on pack off pack. So yeah, maybe a scan, it may be a, a link off through QR uh, where, you know, I mean, I, I worked through a project, for instance, 10 years ago with Nestle where we had some messaging on pack around the climate change, water and energy savings of a particular packaging um, type. But then the QR code took you off site to a Facebook page, which had a whole lot of tips around the home, for energy savings, carbon savings, information on why the study was really important. Now, all that more detailed information, also quick, short, sharp, helpful information for people who were interested. Uh, and it just meant we could house a whole lot of more information off pack that it meant you didn't have that fight with others <laughs> across the organisation for real estate on the pack. So, no, you're absolutely right. And that, that's something we are exploring too in terms of testing. We're about to do quite a large project on date labelling and storage advice, which will include 
you know, expiry dates, best before dates, storage information. And I am quite keen for that project to explore both on-pack and off-pack options and test it with consumers and, and industry about, so with consumers, it's about whether it resonates and whether it actually leads to an action that, that's, that's better. And with industry, it's about what's actually viable, like what could we put on that would be working concert with the other messages you've got going on there and other people in the organization that need information on there, but also still be impactful for your, you know, your customers. You know, you know, since all items are scanned, weighed, et cetera, the computer, the point of sale system could create a receipt with a particular QR code on it that the person could just scan the receipt and it'll tell them all the items that they bought because you got to scan them all. And then they could click through to see for each particular item what they could do. Then it would take no real but Correct. again, you're yeah. using the point of sale yeah. system to log this. What people bought, they could tell them when this stuff is likely to maybe expire yep. based yep. on when they bought it, et cetera. Yeah, and the other the other dimension to that, Richard, is there could be a lot um, you know, just from that receipt, for instance. Yeah, and re- retail reward systems as well. So, you know, often uh, you know, the big retailers are collecting consumer data, you know, at scale. You know, we're talking about big data. So you could have uh, you know, regional or store level approaches and interventions for consumers as well as individual and tailored solutions for consumers based on you know what they're doing on their receipt to receipt right and their behaviors and the history of what they've purchased and you know what they do so it's sort of it, this has been i suppose bubbling away for a long time with the big retailers in australia we've got a, essentially a duopoly here so coles and woolworths the two big supermarkets with some other players the german outfit audi are here now uh, and we've got an independent network of uh, retailers as well. There's probably more competition in the US, frankly, than Australia um, for supermarket retail. But all of these groups have been grappling with big data, right? They've been collecting so much information on consumers for the last 10 years. Early on, they really didn't know what to do with it. But they, these data are now leading to them being able to have more targeted outcomes, which make sense for individual consumers through to groups of consumers in, say, particular geolocations. So as an example, there's the ugly food movement. So one one big gripe that's always been around around the food waste issue is that we have all this perfect food in our supermarkets. What happens to all the ugly food, which is actually just normal food that we've been conditioned not to want to buy because we are presented with a certain aesthetic of food in the supermarkets. Now, you know, short bananas, bent bananas, spotty bananas could be perfectly you know, reasonable to eat. How do we repackage those into a new type of skew uh, that people can buy maybe at a discount or for different contexts? Like, you know, small bananas are great for kids' lunch boxes or, or you know, lunch, even professionals taking a lunch. Uh, so a number of the supermarkets have started looking at different brand options for ugly food, <laughs> we'll call it, or different types of looking food, uh, fresh fruit, particularly fruit and veg. Uh, there's, a, there's one called the Odd Bunch here in Australia where they've put some sort of bent, uh, you know, veggies together that you can use in a in a soup or in a in a stew or something that you're going to cut up anyway. And that's actually done reasonably well. But interestingly, the supermarkets are they release them in particular regions because they know they're going to be more successful in particular types of stores with particular types of demographics, right? So what's going to work in Brooklyn is not necessarily going to work in the Upper East Side. <laughs> You're going to get different demographics, right? Different purchasing behaviours, different types of perceptions about what they're going to buy. 
So well, you, you said um, you, you've uh, there's been tons of data collected over the years. So have you been yeah. privy to that? And what kind of interesting things do you know that other people don't know from all this data? Well, I, I definitely know that uh, from what I've I've um, interacted with various people at in the supermarket system is that without breaching any confidence or anything, that they're definitely using those data now to better tailor how they interact with their customers than what they did 10 years ago. So I used to get an email on my birthday saying, hey, go and get some uh, wine because we know it's your birthday. Now, that's not very hard for them to work out that they've got my birth date on the system and that I might go to you know their liquor store sometimes. You, buy, you might buy a bottle of wine for your birthday, so it's a pretty easy strategy. Whereas, whereas now they're being a lot smarter about how they target, for instance, specials to people that are more tailored to what they've purchased previously. And their rewards platforms and systems are now a lot more targeted about what they offer as sort of complementary offers and systems, et cetera, uh, through those platforms. So, you know, again, like I said, without being... Um, they're just being smarter and more targeted about how they're using those data, which they could probably deploy for food loss and waste strategies as well. So, yeah, you would hope so. I mean, that would be part yeah. of your uh, your work is to to get them to use their data to help. That would be my ultimate. <laughs> that would be one of my ultimate projects, Richard. <laughs> uh, we haven't quite got to that one yet, but I would love to have a um, supermarket reward scheme sub um, app or something. That was all about planning and, you know, discounts, et cetera. Interestingly, so I'll give you another example of a technology that's gone here. There's an app out of the UK and it's also operating in, in other European jurisdictions like Ireland called Gander. Now, Gan what Gander have done is they've actually linked their app platform into the POS systems of supermarkets, like you can imagine in, in England and, and the like. I'm not, I'm not sure which brands they're working with, but, you know, the brands over there are, are people like Sainsbury's and Tesco's and Marks and Spencer's. They hook in and they, they allow the retailer's inventory to sync with their app so that when the inventory is coming to the expiry date or close to the best before date, the retailer can discount that, that inventory and that gets pushed out to the community using the, the Gander app so that... Yeah. That can also be tailored geolocated. So if you're close to the local Marks and Spencers and they've suddenly got a special on carrots and you want to do something with carrots, you'll get that. You know, you'll get you'll get that alert. Uh, mm. You might, you know, you might want, um, you know, three loaves of bread for the weekend for the sausage sizzle at the football match. Oh, they've got some, you know, best before date bread that's going to be expiring in three days. If you buy it today, it'll still be fine but they've discounted it by 15%, which is great for you buying in bulk. So that that's an app we're also looking at in Australia here. So they're about they're trying to launch in Australia. So that's a good example of maybe a third party that comes in, works in concert with the retailer and their data systems to try and push out better options for consumers. And, you know, that, that, that helps the retailer make sure they're not wasting inventory. It helps the producer because the producer isn't getting some kind of charge back from the retailer, which often, often happens in these situations. The retailers are very good at not... Um, not copying it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, all around, it's a good outcome. I mean, looking forward now, it's kind of odd that you're in this space because, you know, people are talking about worldwide famine and food shortages. So how do you think that yeah. that's going to play out with the work you guys are doing? We're yeah, trying yeah, to reduce yeah. food waste, but now we may be in a situation where 
uh, and there may be shortages, which I don't know what that's going to do to the picture. But what are your thoughts there? So, I mean, at this point in time, we don't actually have a food shortage issue. We've got a food distribution issue. So we make enough food to feed everyone right now. What will happen in the future is we will have more famine and more food shortages because of climate change in particular and the effects of peak, peak resources, et cetera. That is where we start to come up against, I think, a compounding issue of our production doesn't meet supply needs and also things like population growth, right, because we are growing as a population and so food shortages are going to be, pose even more of a problem when we have more people on the earth. So, look, at this stage, what we're doing you know, as a research organisation is, I suppose the word sustainable comes to mind, sustainable in terms of if we can reduce food waste and redistribute to people who can't afford to eat it, we're only contributing to a better solution for food shortages and, and famine, et cetera. However, when we start getting to a point where climate change and, and other events and issues affect food supply to a point where we, we can't, don't have enough to feed everyone, our work still contributes because if we, can, if we can reduce food waste and still redistribute, we're still trying to fill that gap. But there are bigger things at play that we need to be addressing. You know? So we need to address climate change now or probably should have addressed it properly 15 years ago, actually, uh, for us to get to a point where we weren't going to have these kind of issues. However, there may be other approaches that can help sort of fill the gap. So are we going to start building massive vertical farms in urban areas to address urban food supply so that we can be trying to stop gap the issues that have occurred through the natural system on farms. There's a whole lot of work going on around that kind of technology um, through hydroponics, the vertical um, farm, etc. In in factories, in some people are proposing that it goes in, in skyscraper type arrangements, even massive towers of it. I mean, we're going to have to think very creatively about how we deal with it because you're right. Like you, these are points that are frankly quite scary. Mm. Yeah. I think we contribute to the solution even if there's a food shortage issue, but there are much bigger things we have to address beyond us if we're going to address, you know, food shortages and population growth and climate change all compounding together. So, mm. yeah. Okay, well, well, very good. What, what's the best place for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Uh, look, um, the best place to go for us is our website. So our website is crc com.au that website uh, has firstly sort of our modus operandi and our our goals and vision around halving food waste by 2030 in australia it also has the three programs i described reduce transform and engage and those program pages have a whole lot of our projects we're working on so that we're talking about around 40 50 project current projects going on and you know there's obviously plans to have a whole lot more uh, up and running in the next six years uh, and then complete um, going towards our aim. So, look, I, I'd encourage you know everyone who's listening to check out that website, check out the projects we're working on, uh, fightfoodwastecrc.com.au. And, uh, yeah, also obviously reach out if you are interested in chatting more and, and I'm always always happy to uh, have a conversation with someone about what we're doing. So Okay. Well, very good. Well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. The Daily Tonic is a five-minute newsletter that shares science-backed health news and tips, all while getting you to crack a smile or even laugh out loud on occasion. It's a daily morning newsletter started by wellness lovers for wellness lovers. 
that covers everything from diet and exercise to morning routines and sleep aids. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. When you go to 247health.com to subscribe to the Daily Tonic newsletter, be sure to check out their product reviews and special recipes. There you can find reviews on the latest health technology that will improve your performance, your recovery, and your longevity. 247health.com believes that wellness is a personal journey, but it's always good to have a friend who knows what they're talking about, too. Give them a try at 247health.com. Did you know many of 247health.com's favorite products, like avocado oil mayonnaise, hydrating ketone water, skin-revitalizing red light lamps, all are featured on the Daily Tonic with discount codes? If you see a cool new product on the website, there's probably a special link on the Daily Tonic. Plus, the Daily Tonic also features new wellness products with special discounts every single day. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.